in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Las Vegas Aces beat the Dallas Wings yesterday, 92-84. to This was the 10 a.m. start for the Aces. Still have not figured out why that game started at 10 o'clock. They actually trailed by nine at the half, but dominated the third quarter, winning that one 31-16. to uh, You won't believe this, but yesterday the Las Vegas Aces had a whopping zero bench points. I do believe that. The last game I was at, they had a nine, and I thought it was like some kind of record. It's a season high. It was like, well, it had to be. It had to be a season high when I was there that day when they beat, uh, was it the was it Connecticut? No, no, they beat Dallas. It was the Sunday game. No, they beat Dallas. Yeah. And it was uh, a whopping nine off the bench. So yesterday, with Jackie Young coming back, I just assumed oh, they would, bench? they'd have no bench. Uh, Jackie Young played 34 minutes in her return. Uh, didn't shoot particularly well. Three of 12 from the floor, only eight points. But Kelsey Plum had 27 and Asia Wilson had 25. But yes, the uh, when the starting lineup is fully healthy, those are the only five players that yes. are going to play. The rest of them, yeah, maybe a couple minutes here or there because somebody needs a break. But that's about it. Great question. The Houston Astros threw two I knew this was coming. Immaculate innings against the Rangers. Luis Garcia and Phil Maton threw the 104th and 105th immaculate innings in Major League Baseball history. And here's maybe the funniest part. It's the first time ever that there have been two immaculate innings on the same day in Major League Baseball, let alone for the same team. But it also happened against the same three Rangers hitters. Nathaniel Lowe, Ezekiel Duran, and Brad Miller were the same three hitters in both innings. And by the way, if you don't know what an immaculate ending it is, is nine pitches, three strikeouts. And the Astros did it twice yesterday with two different pitchers to the same three Same Ranger three batters. Hitters. How pathetic are Lowe, Duran, Duran, and Miller? It's a tough day if you're one of those three. And I hope Miller didn't chase because he was the last one up because if he chased, it would have been a disaster. I would have, if anything looked like a ball, I would have just looked at it. <laughs> uh, the best part is Phil Maton, who was the reliever that threw the second immaculate inning, threw nine fastballs. He did not throw a single off-speed pitch. Nine fastballs. And Phil Maton does not throw hard. He throws like 93. He's got very high spin rate. How did which, this happen? Which apparently makes it difficult to hit. But nine, like 92, 93-mile-an-hour fastballs. Three As strikeouts. strikeouts. Three strikeouts, yeah. Well, the first guy swung I mean, at three balls out of the zone. Against okay. Phil Maton. Yeah. All right. First guy was up there. So hacking that's on at him. Everything. Out Nathaniel of Lowe? Yeah. He swung at three high The second time balls. through. Yeah. Second time he came up in an, in an immaculate inning. He's, he swung at three fastballs out of the zone. And I, I believe it was Duran's first time he struck out. There was a little bit of an iffy call. There was one questionable called strike three. The umpire did help with the umpire with, wanted to be a part with, of this. He did. He did the uh, Duran in one of the at bats. It was off the plate by an inch or two and the ump rang him up. So there was one questionable call. Did Duran question it? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think, I think he realized, yeah, I'm not very good. And I'm going to walk <laughs> back to the dugout here. What was actually great. So Luis Garcia had an immaculate inning in the second, the third inning, the very next inning, he came out, struck the first batter out on three pitches again. So, so he, he went actually, four straight. He went four straight and then got 0-2 on the next hitter and threw a ball. 
and the Astros umpire, or Astros announcers were disappointed. They were like, oh, you got to give him that call. It wasn't anywhere close. <laughs> but they were like, you got to give him that call. Come on. But yeah, he was like, there was like, oh, he's going to throw two immaculate innings in a row, which would have been a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Tyler Anderson lost a no-hitter with one out in the ninth inning. Shohei Otani tripled off of him. Dave Roberts, though, left him yeah. in to try to finish it out despite 123. throwing 123 pitches. The pride and of Las Vegas, Tyler Anderson. Oh, that's right. He is from Vegas. He's from Vegas. Yeah. Come on. He blew it. Who is Tyler Anderson? Like, Journeyman from Las Vegas. Think he went to Spring Valley? That I don't know. <laughs> I can find out for you. Okay. <laughs> Not important. Well. <laughs> is he done important. for like two weeks now? Huh? Is he out for two weeks now? Oh, well, through did you see him massaging his entire arm and elbow? That, which was so weird. And it's like, and they said, well, um, what do you got, Danny? Uh, yes, he went to Spring Valley High School. Okay. Um, and stretching his fingers. And they said he doesn't go down. When he leaves the field, he goes uh, opposite of Dave Roberts. But he was sitting there massaging his whole arm. And I'm like, okay, he might get through this. But when he wakes up tomorrow, he's going on the I.O. <laughs> I mean, there's no way this guy's recovering from this. I don't know what the number was, but I watched the last few innings. And the Dodgers announcers, I, he was like in the high 80s. And they were like, this is his career yeah, high in it pitches. It was 85, I think, was the career high. And he threw like 50 more yes, pitches exactly. in the game. <laughs> like, eh, no worries. And he didn't even get it done because Otani tripled. I Oh, the other thing, I appreciated Mookie Betts diving for that Otani yes. ball despite having absolutely no, no chance. chance. I mean, he was like five feet right. away from that after diving, but I appreciate the dive trying to catch Otani's uh, triple down the line. K-Long told me a couple days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> the NHL will not make changes to long-term IR. Bill Daly said the league doesn't believe at this point changes are needed to the long-term IR system. It has been discussed at the GM meetings in March, and perhaps it should be further discussed, but the league now says no changes needed, according to Pierre Lebrun. They are in, well, many leagues are this way, a league that will just not accept anything that is blatantly wrong and change, change it. They, they just think that they're... I, 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 well, I do think, and, and no, Bettman's the most arrogant of all commissioners. I think even more than Goodell, which says a lot. And I just, I believe that they believe everything they do is right. And that they, they look at these things and say, no, we're fine. It is incredible that you can have a team that is illegal in the regular season because it'd be over the salary cap immediately. Yes. Legal in the postseason. Like, that, that's incredible that that can happen at any point in any of our sports that have a salary cap. But I, I wonder if the Golden Knights made the playoffs, are they changing that rule today? No. You don't think I so? Think they wouldn't admit it. I don't think they'd admit it. If I, the I Golden really Knights don't. were still playing right now, if the Stanley Cup final. I mean, didn't they get enough grief off Kuchera? If the Stanley Cup final was. Tampa against the Vegas Golden who Knights. Who did it last year against the Golden Knights, who would have abused long term IR this year. I think they're arrogant enough not to do it. Oh, I I think they would have changed it. I I don't I, think they would have. The, the meetings in March is what Pierre Lebrun referenced here. There was like some reports that, oh, the GMs are considering changing this. Why? Because the Golden Knights had just traded for Jack Eichel, and the only reason they could 
was because they put Mark Stone on long-term IR. Oh, and, I know. And a lot of I it know. was, I mean, we joked about it. It was, oh, yeah. Mark Stone will be ready to go. Game one of the yeah. postseason. Like, that was Although the that general Although that probably thought. wouldn't have happened. Well, yeah. <laughs> but that was the general thought was, oh, they're going to stash one of these guys on long-term IR, and then they'll make the playoffs. And then, oh, look at that. They're healthy. I think if that had happened, if Mark Stone had stayed on long-term IR and then been back for game one of the postseason, had they made it, right? I think they would have changed. I think they would have been now, like, he wouldn't have been use. healthy, but we believe Riley Smith would have been. Yes. Well, Mark Stone was playing, just not healthy. Well, yeah, just his back, you know. Yeah. Not ideal to no. have a back injury. But I think the Golden Knights had a lot to do with how they were viewing this and how many, how many other teams would have wanted to change it. How many other teams would have said, well, this is cheating. Like, Tampa did it, now Vegas does it. If two teams had done it back-to-back, but because Vegas missed... I think they look at it and say, ah, okay, it's kind of hard to do. It was more of a fluke that Tampa did it than reality until Vegas does it again this season. I, uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry, I just fell asleep. <laughs> Terry McLaurin is holding out from Commander's Camp. Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera said, we are not trading Terry. We believe in who Terry is for us and what he can bring to the table. Hopefully it'll be taken care of in a matter of time. How much time? I don't know, but it is never contentious. I can promise you that much. He has one year left on his rookie deal. Um, How is it not somewhat contentious when he's holding out? Yeah, that's that was an interesting. I mean, it's at it's probably contentious on his part. He's holding out a camp and probably getting fined. Maybe it's not contentious with McLaurin and Ron Rivera because Rivera is not the one that's going to give him a new contract, but. Maybe that's, maybe that's what he meant. It's got to be contentious with the front office. Like, yeah, he wants a new contract. He wants more money. And the commanders obviously aren't giving it to him. Otherwise, he'd have signed it. And he'd be in camp right now. So there's got to be at least some contention there. I assume they signed Terry McLaurin. He hasn't been like superstar wide receiver, but he's been very good in Washington, despite yep. them not having actual quarterbacks. So I, I, I assume they signed Terry McLaurin. Otherwise... There's like there's no way you let that guy play this year and then let him walk, right? Oh, You've no. either got to sign no. him or trade him. Right. So I'm curious to see what they do with McLaurin here because presumably they're actually going to sign the guy. It would be my guess at the end of the day. But this is one of the few players that are actually holding out. Right. Most of these, most of They're everybody else. A lot. Yeah, most of everybody else who's, you know, talked about it, Kyler Murray or Debo Samuel, they're they all, all in up. camp, right? So, like, Baker got excused because the Browns don't even want him around. But, like, right. for the most part, everybody has actually shown up except Terry McLaurin. All right. Coming up next, Darren Millard joins the show. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Millsy Millard. Darren Millard from the VGK Insider Show. Good morning, Darren. Hello, How buddy. What's happening, Ed? How are you? I missed you. Good. Yeah, yeah, missed you. Unbelievable. Yeah. Listen to you two. <laughs> well, well, hey, Tyler. I'm I a nice one. There today. Hi, Darren. <laughs> uh, help us out here. What'd you learn talking to Bruce Cassidy yesterday? Uh, I learned uh, that uh, it's been a whirlwind last week. You think of these people as uh, on TV every night running National Hockey League teams, and you forget that there's a real-life aspect to it. And this is a guy with uh, a couple of kids, and his world was turned upside down, and now it's put uh, on the right side, but it's on the other side of the country. And the head's spinning a little bit. And uh, 
and it's been really fast. So uh, I felt uh, a little connected to to normal uh, with uh, with with Bruce yesterday. What did you think right when you heard it was him? Uh, they got the right guy. They got they got the best candidate out there. Uh, no offense to to Barry Trotz, but I think that there's uh, a little more. I think you just took some uh, offense, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, I, I think there's uh, a little more width, uh, breadth with uh, with uh, with Bruce than than Barry. Less structure, although uh, Bruce is is uh, on that side of it. But he he's, he lets his top guys, and he said that yesterday to me uh, that there's some uh, uh, wiggle room uh, at the top of the lineup. So uh, I think that uh, you got a guy who's uh, been to a Stanley Cup final, coaching the pressure packed. Uh, our original six market and uh, and uh, is uh, is the most coveted uh, guy out there. So uh, I think that they they absolutely got the the perfect guy. So he gets fired in Boston, and Boston's GM actually came out and said something to the effect of, you know, his the bluntness with his messaging can wear on you over time. Like we've had reports about him being hard on the younger players, even some of the veteran players not liking that. Does that need to change, or is that something that the Golden Knights will embrace about what the way Bruce Cassidy coaches? To be perfectly honest, somewhere in the middle. And Bruce has been up front in both uh, some of the uh, correspondence with the media in Boston and uh, with uh, those of us that have been able to converse with him. And he's admitted that uh, he's going to take some uh, some things that uh, that didn't work uh, or that he's got to work on, and he's going to uh, adjust those and and really dive into to that part of uh, of his uh, coaching and uh, and his messaging. And then there's the other part where you know sometimes athletes don't hear what they want to hear, and they get upset and and that's on them more than it is on the coach. And that uh, has to get uh, through to the player. And sometimes you have to be firm with, with a player. And uh, I think that, uh, that that's always going to be uh, a part of, of coaching in, in any level or any sport. But it's certainly uh, the needles moved on that where the, where the bar was. Uh, but I think it's still an important aspect to, to coaching. So uh, I think it's probably 50 on one side and 50% on the other. Is it better? Uh, in Boston, we heard that he let the veterans run the room. It was more towards the younger players with this whole messaging uh, topic. Uh, is it better? We asked in the show earlier that they got a veteran coach to deal with some of the older players. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, I like that they got a veteran coach uh, with with this veteran lineup. Uh Butch walked me through uh, the roster pretty good yesterday about where this is, is set up between veteran players and uh, guys who are uh, in the uh, relatively uh, front end of their, their careers and then other guys who are, who are really uh, uh, fresh and he, he likes the makeup of this team. But I like the fact that he's, he's been around, he's, been, he's known to all these players. Uh, they will have no trouble uh, getting some intel on him uh, uh, as far as uh, how Bruce coaches, and uh, I, I think it's uh, it's an important part uh, between uh, the the road that we've traveled with coaches in this city between Gerard, Pete, and uh, and and now Butch. Uh, I, I think this is the 
the right hire uh, for a veteran team to to have a veteran guy. Boston the last few years was like top two and like goals allowed at five on five expected goals allowed high danger chances against. Should we expect that to translate over? Like, are we looking at a couple of years here of the golden Knights being one or two in the league and uh, five on five defense? Well, how it executes, I, I can't predict, but I do know in, it was one of the first things that, uh, that, Cassidy told me yesterday was uh, you have responsibility to defend and uh, and uh, to paraphrase to be on the right side of the puck and you've got you've got uh, room to explore offensively but you better make sure that you are tackling things in your own end and he is a keep the puck out of the net first guy and uh, and so yeah. Uh, Based on on what we've seen in Boston and my conversation uh, discussion with him yesterday, uh, I would uh, anticipate that this will be all about uh, keeping the puck out of that and helping out those those stats that you talked about. I mean, is it possible to know any of this until we know what the roster makeup is? Well, and uh, that's a perfect segue, uh, Ed. Uh, as usual, uh, one of my favorite guys to talk to, Ed Green. <laughs> He just asked uh, is, the question. <laughs> is uh, is the the part about uh, about being able to dissect your roster is something that he's going to do in the next uh, next couple of days with Kelly McCrimmon. Uh, he, he said that he's got to put a staff together and then go over uh, the salary cap and, and what his roster looks like. Uh, that's that's front and center on his mind. I talked to actually I talked to Bruce Boudreau this morning uh, from my podcast, The Chirp, and I said, "What's what's Bruce Cassidy going through right now?" And he said he's pouring over the roster. He's trying to dissect everything and what's uh, what's happening and who's on his team and who who might be in play. And uh, he's he's absolutely pouring over all of that. Should Barry Trotz be holding out until more Winnipeg restaurants and businesses offer him free stuff? Uh, I would. <laughs> if, if you're getting free beer, giddy up. Yeah, yeah, I, I, have no, I have no issue uh, with that. Uh, I, I, free is better than cheap is my motto. <laughs> and my second motto is why pay retail? So what what did Bruce Cassidy get offered? Did We didn't have any businesses step up to give him free yeah, beer what, for Yeah, where's life? McKenzie River, man? A free pie a day. <laughs> Come on. I would take that. I was in there the other day, and it was outstanding. Yeah. I love it. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, today's uh, introductory press conference uh, with Kelly and 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 Bruce, and being able to uh, see uh, and hear a little bit more from, from the new head coach. Uh, it's been so quick uh, that, that uh, we're just scratching the surface on, on, on what Bruce Cassidy is and, and his uh, methodology and his uh, theology of, uh, of coaching. So I'm looking forward to it. Go ahead, Ed. Well, I just want to know how much you think the relationship with McPhee had to do with this. I assume it had a ton to do with this. And when it ended like that in Washington, is it just a sense that you know, if you're McPhee, you're watching a guy as he matures and goes on and, and, and obviously knows he's much better now than then because of experience? I, I don't know whether that relationship played an integral role or not. Like, there's, there's a familiarity there for sure, absolutely. But Bruce Cassidy isn't making a decision based on 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, uh, and the, the Vegas Golden Knights are not making a decision uh, based on uh, 15 years ago. Uh, it, it, it helps with uh, with a little familiarity, but this this would have been uh, Kelly McCrimmon uh, wanting 
and setting his sights on, on, on Bruce Cassidy. They were down a path uh, like everybody else has been uh, with a different coach uh, because Bruce Cassidy wasn't available, and they switched on the fly and, and made it happen. Before we let you go, uh, do you think Tampa blew it by not stealing a game they were close in last night? No. Uh, I, I, think, I think Tampa Bay didn't play their best game last night, but they know exactly who they're dealing with now. And uh, I, I, based on what they've been through uh, over the last couple of years and, and go back to 2015 uh, and their, their exposure in the Stanley Cup final, uh, they didn't play their best game. They didn't deserve to win that game. They had an opportunity, but uh, I wouldn't feel like one passed them by by any means. I would be more okay. Now we know what we're dealing with, and uh, and we'll come back and, and get them. And that, that's even if they lose game two. This team's been been uh, been so good and so resilient. Uh, I'm I'm still taking uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and in in fact, one thing is uh, jumped out at me is is I feel more confident in Tampa after last night, not playing their best, but still having a, a game go to overtime. They're getting swept, Darren. You know that, right? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is Darren Millard. You can hear him over on the VGK Insider Show uh, in the afternoon after Bruce Cassidy's press conference today. Darren, thank you so much for See joining out there, us. buddy. Uh, Tyler. Uh, Good to chat with you, and wow. Ed, I can't wait to uh, to to give you a big old hug yep. at the uh, at the festivities today. I'll see you there. Oh, thanks, see you, buddy. Darren. That was that was way too nice. Darren's got to be meaner than that. Oh, he's a good kid. He said thank you to me. I don't want that. <laughs> no, not to you. He's a good kid to me. Yeah, I don't want him to be nice to me at all. Let's be mean. He's he's just nice because I woke up this morning with a text message from him asking, "Hey, can we do it before eight thirty? Because I've got to do something else." So. He's just nice to me because I moved his time around so he could do whatever the hell he's got to go do it right now. So that's all Darren is. Yeah. Wake up, he's sending me text messages in the middle of the night, by the way. What's he doing? Go to sleep. Oh, when there. that was was in the you saw the time? Yeah, it was sent me to like at midnight or something like that. I was like, come on, let's go to sleep. Do you turn the phone off? No. It's just on vibrate, so it doesn't wake up. That's what me I'm up. saying. No, yeah. no, no, no. The ringer. Yeah, I I'd never have it on, period. So how do you know when you get texts? It vibrates. Oh, oh, all right. But if you're in another room. I mean, I would say the amount of times I'm in a room that my phone is not in is very, very low. Very rare. You don't have the ringer on. No. That's a little weird. Is it? I think so. Danny, how often is the ringer on your phone on? I never have the ringer on. However, I do have a watch that's attached to my phone. So if there's something, my watch will start vibrating. Oh, that makes sense. But as far I think as my daughter actual, has that, but I wouldn't know. As far as an actual ringtone or text tone or anything, I haven't had one on since I bought this phone five years ago. Do you text on the watch? Occasionally. Oh man, I couldn't do that. Well, because I can do so, I can type, I can write it out, or I can speak into my watch, and it'll. Yeah, I do a lot of tech, uh, speaking text. You got to go back and make sure on those things, man. Oh yes, <laughs> always. You got to go back. There could be some weird stuff sent out if you hit that send button. <laughs> I my my girlfriend never has her phone on either. Your phone never ring. Me. I don't even know what my ringtone is. I don't. I don't have any idea what really? it is. Really, the only time my phone makes noise is if like I watch a video or my alarm in the morning. Man. That's it. Otherwise, my phone. I don't. I don't want. I have March Madness. As your ringtone? And so when you come in here, you shut it off. Well, I shut it off. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's an extra step. That's too many steps.
I just never have it on. It's way better that way. See, I'm in different rooms a lot of the time. It's I'm not, not. It's not always with me. Bring it with it's me. I also my laptop. I leave it in the car sometimes. My laptop is synced up to my phone, so if I'm just sitting in front of my laptop and I get a call, I'll see it on my laptop too. Wow. So, All yeah. Right. No annoying ringtones. Each his own. Yeah. I haven't had a ringtone since like high school. Probably not even then. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's amazing. Just pointless. I will say this is the first time I haven't used a ringtone or a text tone, but that's, like I said, it's because of my watch. But in the past, you've done the ring. Yes. Oh, you're weird, Danny. Yeah, before I got this watch, I would always have my ringtone on. You're weird, Danny. I would step out of this room and click it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just so you know, um, because she's staying on top of this, Cassie just texted me saying she's not my girlfriend anymore. My fiance. Yes, thank you, Cassie. Oh, because you keep, you keep saying that. By I the way, do. I, I yeah. You, you're you're so. messing that up. A lot. I'm actually going to start calling her my ex girlfriend because she is no longer my girlfriend. I don't know what to call Esther. He he doesn't even get to drive. That's true. Passenger. He doesn't even let him drive. Pa- he's the yeah. passenger of her life. Yeah, he's just he's, like a passenger. He's that the guy. Uber rider. Yes, exactly. I'm surprised <laughs> she doesn't have the kid in the back drinking out of some water bottle and some mints that she leaves him in the back of the car. He's in the back. Chances locked in the closet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Her and Archie. Her and Archie are up front. Chances at home. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some Raiders. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. We have $150 to Fogo de Chown, uh to give away soon. Brazilian Steakhouse. Um, here's the thing. We got copy. I have copy of like, hey, we have this giveaway. Here's what you need to say when you give it away. And it says in there how to pronounce it. And it says Shown is how you pronounce with it. With an N on the end? Yeah, with an N on the end. And we did it yesterday. Is and it I, spelled with an N? No, no. It's C-H-A-O is how the word is spelled. And yesterday... When I did it, I said shown or shown, but I was like, that cannot be right. I just went and looked it up on this guy on YouTube saying, here's how you pronounce it. And it's got an N on the end. Okay. Fogo de Shown is apparently how you pronounce it. So coming up in a few minutes, if you want to win 150 bucks to Fogo de Shown, we got it for you. Uh, so stay tuned. Now, a Raiders question for you. Um, let me let me Let me start with this way. Is this the most pressure Derek Carr has under oh. ever been under in his career? Yes. You think so? I think so. Is that because this is the highest expectations have ever? Maybe maybe the year after they went to the playoffs and what was that, 16? Maybe 16. after that, that's the only other time they've had yeah. this legit high expectations. I think it's because, and I don't know if it's fair or not, everything has been made of Devontae Adams. And I think that is perfectly fair given that he wanted Devontae Adams here, yep. right? Like if, if you had probably asked him at the start of the offseason, what do you want? He would have said Devontae, Devontae Adams. Adams. So I think that's fair. Uh, I think he's under that pressure because there is this, um, you know, the AFC West best division in the NFL and all four teams can be playoff teams, all that. If they don't go to the playoffs, right? If they were to finish last in the AFC West, then you're looking around saying, oh, um, you're nowhere close to the right. Chargers or the right. Chiefs or maybe even the Broncos, right? You just finished in last place and they've got Mahomes and Herbert might be the quarterbacks for those two teams for another decade. See you, Derek Carr, given the way his contract is structured. I do think this is the most pressure he will yeah. have ever been under. And I think the big problem is the pressure he's under versus expectations and what he'll actually do. 
I don't I don't think it's going to be a this Raiders team is one of the eight best offenses in football or whatever it is. Like I think this is going to be a pretty average 12 to 16th best offense in the NFL this year and I don't know that that's well, going to be Well, if that's good the enough. case, I don't even know if he can make the playoffs. Right. I don't I mean, I don't think they will in that scenario because the I mean, unless the defense is just suddenly great, but that's probably not going to happen. And I asked all this because CBS Sports did a, an AFC quarterback ranking and Derek Carr came in at eighth. He was behind Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, and Deshaun Watson. So maybe he's actually seventh, not eighth. But <laughs> well, he one came, guy might not play. He came in at eighth. And not that quarterback play solely determines if a team goes to the playoffs, but seven teams go to the playoffs. And Derek Carr is not one of the seven best quarterbacks in the AFC. According to this ranking, you can argue with whatever you want. There's an uphill battle for them to make the postseason. Yes. And if we're talking, I think if we're talking at the end of the year that Derek Carr's still, well, he's the seventh or eighth best quarterback in the AFC. There's a chance they're not in, a great chance. And I think we'll look back and say this was a failure of a season. I think in all, in all seriousness. Oh, with the what they've made about this offense, whether it's true or not, if they don't make the playoffs, it's a failure this right. season. And I think to specifically tie it to what Carr does, I think there needs to be legitimate conversation about, oh, he's the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the AFC, or or at least having the fourth or fifth best season, right? If you right. want to argue somebody's better. But like you look at it, like I think most people would agree Mahomes, Allen, Herbert are better than Derek Carr. Yes. Right. Maybe Raiders fans are gonna yell about that. But I think most the the large consensus is that those three are better than Carr. I think in all seriousness, at the end of the year, for Car to have like met expectations, we need to be talking about him as a possible fourth behind those three, right? Maybe Russell Wilson or Joe Burrow's better than him, but at least needs to be the conversation of, oh, Derek Carr was almost as good as, just Lamar as Jackson's good as. Not or, better than him? I think he is. I mean, I, I would take Lamar Jackson. I would too. But like, I think it needs to be when we get there at the end of the year, the conversation needs to be, oh, well, Carr, he's not the best in the AFC, right? but he's in that four or five range in the now, AFC. Now, if they do that, they can make the playoffs. Absolutely. If he's the fourth or fifth best then AFC quarterback. Then they're probably in the playoffs. I, I would hope they're. The defense right. is going to have to be a atrocious. atrocious. Or maybe the offensive line, which that probably happens anyways. But, like, yeah, the defense is going to have to be really bad. If, if Carr has, like, a top five AFC quarterback year right. and they miss, yeah, the defense is going to have to be really, really bad. So... That's, I think that's sort of expectation wise where Derek Carr is and what needs to happen this year. I just don't know that it does. I don't know if at the end of the year we're saying that he's better or as good as that's a big jump, Wilson, especially Burrow, with the names ahead of him. Yeah. Like it's, it's possible. And like, surely one of those guys, like one of those is going to have a bad year or something like that. Right. Like Russell Wilson might not be very good or something, or Joe Burrow might come back to earth. Like, but to be better than three or four of them. I don't know that that happens. And that's sort of what the Raiders need from Derek Carr this year. So I don't see any of the ones behind him that I would say is unfair. Yeah. So the ones that come in behind Derek Carr were Ryan Tannehill, Matt Ryan, Mac Jones, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Tua, Kenny Pickett, Zach Wilson, and Davis. Mills. See, I would put him ahead of all those. Right. I think like there's a chance like a Matt Ryan could have a better year. He's in a new situation in Indy. He's going to play behind a real offensive line this year, as opposed to what he did last year. I'll put a little asterisk next to Trevor Lawrence, right? Like urban Meyer is no longer the coach there. So maybe Trevor Lawrence has a massive year too, because it's run by competent football coaches right. this time around. But yeah, Tannehill, 
No. Mac Jones can't throw the no. ball very far down the field. Tua, no. Tua might have a Tua should have a better season, not than Carr, but a better season than he has in the past with Tyree Kill there. But I still don't think we're talking about Tua being better than Carr. No. Pickett, no. I, Zach Wilson. And Davis Mills, uh, and David, no. no. So, like, no. yeah, I, I think he's... Th- I think it's a fair ranking. I do, too. I, I think if 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 Deshaun Watson plays, I think it's very fair to say Derek Carr's the eighth-best quarterback right. in the AFC. If Watson doesn't, then I think it's pretty fair to say he's number seven. And maybe there's some movement where, hey, he's better than Russell Wilson this year, or Matt Ryan has a great year. Like, maybe there's a little bit of movement, but I think that's ultimately where he ends up, which will be interesting to see because seven teams make the playoffs. And as we've talked about in the AFC, there's like 12 or 13 teams that think they should be going to the postseason this year. And there's going to be a lot of teams that don't. I don't think, uh, man, I'm on the fence about these guys. You and I've talked about, it. I still think they're the third best team in the West. I still, I still think they'll have to finish out of the Broncos. I do too. I think the Broncos end up last and they, that the, Raiders will be the sort of second nine. wild card. Yeah, they'll be they'll oh, be a, well they'll be a they, team they that's finish like third and not make it right. They'll be a team that's like eight and seven with a couple games to go, and if they win each of their last two games, they get in. they're in. If they lose them both, they're out. And if they're nine and eight, probably not good enough. But then maybe, they're looking at other scores. Maybe you win a tiebreaker or something, right. and and you end up in, or or maybe you tie a game instead of lose a game, and you end up in something like that. I think is where they settle, and that's. I mean, you look at where Carr ranks as a quarterback, that matches up pretty well with what the actual team will end up being in the AFC. It's just, it's a, it was a brutal year for the Raiders to basically do the, the hey, we're going to go all in this year. We're going to trade our picks right. and go for Adams and sign Chandler Jones and all that. Brutal year to do it in the AFC because of how, great year to do it if they were in the NFC. If this was an NFC team, right. oh, the Raiders are in the playoffs already. We're like, oh yeah, of course, they're one of the five or six best teams in the NFC. But in the AFC, it's like, ah, yeah, you could see this going pretty wrong. You could see you could see them having a good year and still missing the playoffs sure. because of how good Nine the division and eight, is. Nine and eight, ten and seven, yeah. depending on who I mean, else is good. Carr can play really well, and they can lose and to the Chiefs thirty-two to twenty-eight. Right, right. Carr can play well, and they can lose to the Chargers thirty-two to twenty-eight. And you look around, and you're like, well, it's not. Well, Carr played well, but the other team's just good, and you missed the playoffs because right. you lost a couple of close games to really good teams and. Now you're out of the playoffs and we're looking around saying, all right, what do you do now? Keep trying to go all in, even though you're not quite good enough. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some NBA because former running rebel Chris Wood got traded. But first, 150 bucks to Fogo Day Shown. Uh, winner gets a father, Father's Day feast. $150 dining card from Fogo Day Shown. Try and discover new foods you can't get anywhere else. Welcome to what's next at Fogo Day Shown. Book your reservations at Fogo.com. 702-364-1100 is the phone number will take caller number six at 702-364-1100. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Former UNLV running rebel Christian Wood got traded yesterday from the Houston Rockets to the Dallas Mavericks. The Rockets are getting the 24th overall pick in this upcoming draft, plus Marquise Chris, Trey Burks, and Boban. Eh, three guys that play anywhere from zero to 12 minutes last year for Dallas. Uh, Christian Wood, last two seasons in Houston, averaged 19.1 points, 9.9 rebounds, and shot 38% from three with the Rockets. What is this? Do of which, f- what are the Rockets? Do? That's a good point. Uh, let's go. Let's go the Rockets side first here. What are the Rockets doing? Stripping it down. 
They already are stripped <laughs> I mean, down. they've stripped it down now for a while. They traded a guy, basically a 20 and 10 guy, for three dudes. Yeah. And a late first round pick. To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, Tim McMahon tweeted this out. The Rockets were looking to move Christian Wood to clear playing time for Alperin Singen. Probably mispronouncing that. And likely the number three overall pick, which could be Paolo Banchero or Chet Holmgren. Uh, Alperin Sengen is a 19-year-old center that played 20 minutes per game last year, averaged 10 points. His efficiency numbers, not very good. Did not shoot it very well last season. I guess, like, the only thing to me that makes some sense is, hey, we've got a 19-year-old center that we think could be good. We're going to have a a draft pick. We're going to pick a power forward, whether it's Chet or Paolo. We're going to have front court guys that are younger than Chris Wood. And Chris Wood is obviously not a foundational piece of a championship level team. So we can trade him and clear up minutes for these guys to play to find out if either one or both will be a foundational piece of a championship level team. That's the only thing to me that makes sense, but I still don't know why you only got really the 24th and three guys. Chris Wood, though, I do think becomes number two in Dallas now. So that's the interesting part. What, how good is Chris Wood? Like how good do you think he can be for a team that can, that's trying to win? I don't think Chris Wood makes them a championship contender. I think he makes them better. I don't think they're going to win the title because they got Chris Wood to go with Luka. So I think there's two things here. There's one is Chris Wood offensively, I think is going to fit really well with Luka. I think he's going to be a great pick and roll partner with Luka because Chris Wood, again, his shot well from three uh, the last few years in Houston. He's finished at the rim pretty well uh, as well. So he can roll to the rim, he can pick and pop, he can space the floor, whatever the Mavericks actually need him to do on offense, will probably he'll probably be very helpful, probably be a good partner with Luka. The problem, though, is Chris Wood is not viewed as a very good defensive player, right? Like, I'm not going to pretend to have watched a lot of Rockets, but the general consensus yesterday was that, okay, how the hell do the Dallas Mavericks guard anybody when Luka and Chris Wood are on the, right, floor, the floor together? There's a lot of height there, but not a lot of actual good defensive play. So I don't know, like there, there's a chance Chris Wood is like played off the floor in a postseason series. There's a chance Chris Wood is just so bad defensively that Dallas has to say, we can't put him on the floor. Well, that, that doesn't help. Right. Does not <laughs> help at all. But I, I think ultimately Chris Wood doesn't really change where Dallas sits right now in terms of their championship hopes, right? They're still basically in the same spot unless they get somebody better than Chris Wood. Right. If they yeah. if this if this is their and, big and bring Jalen Brunson back. Maybe. If this is their big offseason move, right? If they bring if they traded for Chris Wood, and even if they bring Jalen Brunson back, maybe they're a little bit better than this past season, but they're not in the no. same tier as Golden State, Boston, or even Milwaukee. No. Right. And they're probably probably not up there with uh like a Phoenix Miami going into next season. Clippers either. if everyone's healthy. Yeah. Like there's gonna be plenty of teams that we consider as more legitimate title contenders than Dallas. If you told me they landed a number two, somebody that's, you know, worse than Luca, but better than Chris Wood and Jalen Brunson, then I'd be like, okay, they, they might be for real. I don't, there's not many guys not, that are I was going to say who's out there that right, they could like do that with Bradley Beal might be available, but he might not even want to leave Washington apparently, but like, there's not many guys that are available this off season. So I don't know that they'll actually find that, but if they did, then I think we could genuinely be like, oh, Dallas has a shot to win a title this year. Whereas this season, even though they made the Western conference final, it was never a, Hey, Dallas could actually do this. No. 
Ultimately, I think Chris Wood's ceiling is number three guy on a title team or a contender type team. I think that's bad. His, I think that's his ceiling. Now, okay. is he that right now? Probably not. He's gonna have. There's gonna have to be some uh, defensive improvement or a defensive scheme that helps hide him a well, little bit. I don't know how much you can improve at this point. Yeah, maybe. But I think that's the ceiling there. And the problem for Dallas is I think that's also Jalen Brunson's ceiling. If they bring him back, I think that's two guys that their ceiling is, hey, he can be your third best player on a title team. Luka can obviously be the number one. They're just missing that number right. two. And Chris Wood is not it. I don't think Brunson is it. No, we saw in the we saw in the Western Conference Finals that I don't think Brunson yeah. is it. And so does that player exist for Dallas this offseason? Or is this a sort of multi-year roster build where let's say they bring Brunson back like they bring Brunson back have Chris Wood and let's say the next offseason they land I don't know Paul George type player or something I don't know even know who's available but just Paul George as an example a team's a title contender yeah. right and if that's if that's sort of Dallas's plan that they've got somebody that they can target next offseason then I'm okay with that you not really wasting because you're still going to be good but you're kind of taking one year with Luca again and saying eh, we don't really have a shot but let's see what you can do by yourself next offseason though we're getting you that true number two guy then, then I think fine. yeah then I think Dallas is doing it but for now probably going to be a really good year for Christian Wood like he's he had a good year in Houston but Houston's awful but I think we're going to get a lot more publicity for Christian Wood and he's going to have a good season playing with Luka Doncic